In a world of podcasts about movies, sci-fi, TV, and podcasts about sci-fi, TV, and movies, two women chose to add their voices to the fray. Two sisters. One woman was willing to go to any length to explain away plot holes and bad pacing. I don't think, first of all, much like the entirety of this film, I don't think we're supposed to ask a lot of questions. The other, though, had no such sympathies. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. Together, they joined forces to highlight the good, the bad, and the truly bizarre. This is See You Next Week in Space. just now realized that the one thing I forgot to do to prepare for today is I forgot to come up with a question <laughs> that this episode <laughs> reminded me of. Um, but on the spot, I guess my question might be, uh, do you recall playing the game Operation? <laughs> yeah, of course. I love that game. And were you any good at it? No, I was horrible at it. Because um, <laughs> I don't think I have, I don't have um, the overarching problem for me in that game, which maybe everyone experiences, is I don't think my hand-eye coordination and um, fine motor skills in my hands are great. Mm, mm. Um, you know, not to a level where I'm concerned about it, <laughs> but like, that's good. I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not good at drawing. I'm not good at like intricate things with my hands. No. Mm. So, so no, I was not great at that game. There was like a few that I think were like the easier ones. And I can't remember what those would be. And maybe I was okay at that, but like the long, there's one that's like long, but really skinny. That one I remember being hard well, in particular. Yeah, I, that's the – well, it might be that you're thinking of the one that was the rubber band in his knee. Oh, and the rubber band was hard too. Because like that I thing – like that. if you got one end off, then the other end, like it might pop in a weird way and get yeah. messed up. Um, that one was always – I'm just actually looking at images of Operation because it's been a long time. I remember one was hit an apple. Game. Yeah, there was one yeah. that was an apple. A bit. Also, do young people, do they still have Operation? Is that, that's, why, have- that's why I Googled it. I was like, does this game even still exist? <laughs> like, it must. Does it? No, I don't know. It seems to. It looks as though hmm. you can buy it. Like, I'm in Australia. I feel like Australia. kids today would be, like, bored by that. I mean... Maybe they would. I don't know. I almost want to order this from Target Australia right now. It's only <laughs> 25 bucks. I um, would for real play that sitting alone. Is that sad? Like no. I would cuz like I don't what I don't remember about the game is how it's a game. Like um you, as I, soon as I'm you, like, aren't you meant to just pick it up yourself? But I guess that's the yeah. thing is like when you buzz, no, I think it, it's, you, then it goes to the next person. Yeah, and I think maybe it's sort of like a Jenga situation, I think, where like the last person who has to 
I don't know. Now I'm curious, but like, it's but you're like right. The there's a there's an apple and the throat. I'm looking at an image mm. of what the game looks like. Oh, now. that's right, because it's his Adam's apple. Yeah. Right. And then butterfly in the stomach. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think there's a Charlie horse. Mm, that right, seems right. right. Um, that game was clever, more clever than I thought, and I remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the new. Like, because I'm looking at this thing on Kmart's website now of, like, what the new game looks like. And it looks like, on the one hand, it looks exactly the same, but it also mm-hmm. looks like, you know, it's been kind of Did you have to batteries up. in it? Yeah. I think there must be batteries somehow in the mix. Because you didn't plug it into the wall or anything. No. I don't think so. I don't remember that. So that would I be, mean, like, a whole ass deal. Yeah, well, because I'm, but see, oh, you know what they've done? <laughs> what? Um, and probably rightly so. Uh, so the operation game I was remembering from childhood, the man has no pants on. <laughs> yeah. He also he's has having no an operation. Penis. Yeah, he also right. has no penis. He's just got this right. big bulbous stomach and then legs coming down from it. Yeah. In current operation, they've put boxer shorts on him. That's funny. And I feel like it kind of changes the game because, oh, no, I guess it looks like all the same stuff is still on his body. Well, you don't, don't, like, pull anything out of his genital area, do you? (laughs) No, there is some weird thing. What's this? Look at this more closely. Oh, there's, like, um... What is that thing? Oh, he does have something like at the bot, like beneath his belly button called his bread basket that you have to get a little piece of bread out of. Uh, um, oh, I do sort it, of remember that. That seems gross, but I think it's probably just because it's his stomach. So it's like food. Yeah. 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 I, I certainly didn't read it in a suggestive way as a child. And I don't mm-hmm. really see it as suggestive now. As an adult. That is funny that they um, put boxer shorts on him, though. They, yeah. they. I guess they were like, well, kids Does that can't. help anything? I mean, <laughs> I mean, there was nothing to be seen in the original, so. No, that's, he still, he still looks like the exact same man. Like, it's, it's clearly <laughs> the same guy because he's got the big belly still. They could update like, and make a woman or something, too, couldn't they? They could do anything, I suppose, that they wanted. <laughs> Um, but hello everyone. Hello listeners. Uh, I am Sarah Walsh and I'm here with my sister and co-host Amy Walsh. Welcome to see you next week in space. And Amy, I have to assume that our listeners are puzzled by this as our opening, uh, scenario. So why don't you tell, why don't you tell them what we're talking about? I mean, I am a little too, but, um, uh, we are talking about a show that I always like known about, but really not known about. Um, mm. We watched an episode of Fringe, which is a show that was on from 2008 to 2013. The episode we specifically watched was called Brown Betty, which was season two, episode 20, and originally aired in April of 2010. Yes. Um, so maybe say a little bit more about what you meant when you said you like 
thought you knew about this show, but then you didn't know anything about this show. Well, it's one of those ones that, like, I knew was on. I was aware of it. It's sort of like the show Bones to me. <laughs> okay. Where I'm, like, aware of it. But if you asked me, like, what it's about, I wouldn't really know. Um, that I would maybe a, even. I think a lot of people feel, feel that way about Bones for sure. <laughs> and perhaps <laughs> perhaps about Fringe as well. Well, Fringe just for me, like, I don't know. It was never. It was on my radar because I knew Joshua Jackson was on it. Oh, um, sure. Yeah. And, you know, always a fan, not going to lie. Um, so, Pacey yeah. for life. I, <laughs> I said something the other day, actually, to mom about Joshua Jackson, and she was like, who? And, <laughs> and I was like, Pacey, come on, get it together. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. It just was one of those ones where I, I never cared to, like, look deeper into what it was. Yeah. I mean – I am not surprised about that when it comes to Fringe because it was very, from what I remember of those days of like when you would see a promo for it on TV or whatever, it was very clearly science fiction, which obviously would not have appealed. I am a little bit surprised that you never got onto the Bones train at any point, but. That's true. I mean, there are definitely some like crime procedurals that like never made it to me because of either they were like super network type shows at a time when I didn't really have TV or like couldn't really watch that kind of stuff. Bones, Rizzoli and Isles, like all of those, like I never got into. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, no time like the present. (laughs) I don't know. I'm not really, I don't feel like I'm missing anything (laughs) per se. I feel like I've got my quota of like crime procedurals. I'm good. They have yeah. a they have a new version of Criminal Minds on Paramount Plus, so like I'm satiated you really, at the moment. You really have to focus in on that more than anything. Yeah. Um yeah. so in terms of fringe, uh I would I was expecting there to be kind of more on the internet than there turned out to be. Like, um which I mean kind of makes sense and also was a bit puzzling because I remember sticking with Fringe for at least the first few seasons and genuinely enjoying it. But then I have the feeling that maybe the fan base, uh, such as it was, was quite a lot like me where like after a while, it's like, I just like can't keep all of your different threads together anymore. Like I can't follow this. Um, Yeah. Well, and question, like even for the episode we watched, and I guess we'll get into it, like was... This is a show, and I see that you wrote at some point here something about the incomprehensible at the episode level, but, like, I definitely, <laughs> uh, it's like a broken record. I didn't fully know what was going on for most of it. <laughs> um, it took yeah. me a while to, to understand the premise, and I felt like I was just, like, missing some extra details. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe that's sort of a good place to start because um, part of the reason why you would have struggled with this episode and anyone would have if they had not seen the episodes up to this point is because the show creators, J.J. Abrams, Roberto Orsi, and Alex Kurtzman, um, those guys, like... They were already kind of a big deal by this point because they had already done Lost and various things. Mm-hmm. Um, 
they were all working together on the first Star Trek movie, like reboot uh, at this time. Um, Mm. And so they were wanting to create something that was like, because not, I don't think they would have described it as a weakness of the TV show Lost, but what they felt like had happened with Lost is that it had gotten so down the serial track that if you hadn't watched all the other episodes, you were never going to start You're, Lost in the middle. Like, you were never going to pick lost. it up. Yes, <laughs> correct. So the yeah. show was like a play on the thing and then a double word play of like, you will be lost if you try to watch this show because they are also lost and what's it all mean? Um, yeah, well, and there were so many. I, I didn't, that was another show where it's like, <laughs> culturally I know of it but I don't really know a lot about it yeah um, I never got watched, into Lost either I maybe watched one episode and it was like the first episode just because I was curious about the plane crash like watching sure. that <laughs> I don't know why um, but then even like the stuff I would hear about it I was like that sounds too convoluted for me <laughs> like, yeah. Like, yeah so they wanted to they didn't want to get kind of bogged down in that style of cereal anymore but Mm -hmm. they also didn't want to do just like you know an episodic crime show either they but Mm -hmm. intriguingly they did want to do a crime procedural because they said like if you looked around when we were developing the show those were like the top shows at the time um csi Bones, mm-hmm. Criminal Minds, Numbers, like we, the list goes on and Law on. Law and Order, and yeah. Yeah, I mean, Law and Order was one of the first of kind of the newer yeah. wave, but certainly by 2008, we were awash in all of those Fully different... Fully in it. Yeah. yeah, so they were like, how can we maybe take that format and then do something a bit different? with it so that's Mm -hmm. kind of the goal so unsurprisingly and I thought this as I was like re-watching because I re-watched a little bit of the previous episodes before this to remind myself um, especially the first season has a very kind of X-Files vibe because Mm. um, especially in season one it was much more of a like mystery or monster of the week kind of format okay um, by the time they get into season two, which is this, you know, and we're deep into season two, they started to m- move more toward a serial format. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what ended up maybe, as I said before, like kind of drawing me away from the show in the end is then they, the final seasons were very serially bound in such a way mm-hmm. that I was like, I liked the idea of there being a second alternative universe, but now this is really getting to be kind of annoying. Like, um, there's like, anyway, um, so inspired by X-Files, inspired by the Twilight Zone, not really a surprise there. Um, but also trying to be more accessible in its approach to science fiction than something like Lost ever was yeah um and that's kind was of all lost sorry we don't have to talk about lost but now i'm curious was lost was considered science fiction i don't know a lot about what that show got uh, into i f- i would call it so but let i'm just okay. curious i'm gonna because like from what i know of it 
anyway. It's like this plane crash, and then there's a series of different things that happen. Oh, yeah. So I mean, it starts off like normal in like regular universe, and then like this island that they're on. I'm, right. I'm guessing according what happens is that it becomes... To, yeah, according to IMDb, they're characterizing it as fantasy, um, oh. which maybe maybe that is a better fit. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, like, so I guess better said, the, the series creators wanted to come up with something sort of fantastical, um, but that wasn't going to be such kind of a leap of faith on the part of the audience and would allow people to come and go and not need to watch every single episode to be able to get what's going on. But they kind of moved Mm -hmm. away from that, I would say, as the series developed. Um, So in terms of the cast, uh, as usual, there are more people who appear in the overall in the run of the show. But for today's mm-hmm. episode, we really only need to know about four people. Um, okay. First of whom is Olivia Dunham, played by a thirty-one-year-old Anna Torv, um, who is an Australian actress. Uh, mm. Who I was rather disappointed to learn in my. Uh, reading about her that she is a cousin um, in the Rupert Murdoch family um, and Rupert Murdoch does that make her inherently bad I I just it just makes me concerned is all I can say <laughs> um, and I guess what it particularly made me kind of squench my nose up and make a face when I found out about it this week was because this is also the week that that whole, like, Timothy Chalamet, Nepo baby thing, like, (laughs) hit. And Mm. I was like, yeah, this woman is, like, there's there's hardly a family that's more powerful than the Murdoch family in Australia. And they're even powerful in the world itself because Rupert Murdoch runs Fox News. You know, like... um, Oh, yeah. So... So anyway, there was a part of me that was like, I because I, I do like this show and did like it and thought that Anna Torv did a good job. And then all of a sudden that kind of good feeling started to curdle when I learned mm. that because I was like, of course, someone from that family could get an acting job. You know, like, yeah, this um, this bitch here, <laughs> you know, like, and of course, she's yeah. good looking. And of course, you know, like all this stuff. Yeah. Um, and. That So all I can say is it's not as though I think people who are rich and privileged are inherently bad at what they choose to do in their lives as a profession. Mm -hmm. I think often they're quite good at what they do. The problem is that the reason they're so good at it is because they Mm -hmm. are given every opportunity and afforded, you know, like, you know, if they if you want to be a professional a uh, horse jumper, you get lessons and you get money. If you want to be a professional sure. hockey player, you get what you need to do that. If you, you know, you like might get whatever. your own hockey rink put in your backyard. Right. Yeah, like, so like, that's the thing. It's like, it's not that you're not yeah, good at that thing, but just part of the reason you got to be so good at it is because you had these opportunities Access to it that yeah. so many other people don't, you know. Um, Absolutely. I mean, it's, yeah, 100%. I am with you. I hate her. 
I think she's <laughs> not even talented anymore. <laughs> well, that isn't what I was trying to say, but no, I, I know what, and and I do think it's important to point out, like because of the venal nature of certain political like intrigues of the present moment, I, it's just like I think these are important connections to point out. Should mm-hmm. it come to matter someday like you know yeah um anyway this was her breakout role um like unsurprisingly because she's australian she kind of circled around doing quite a lot of australian work um but and i and i've always been a bit surprised by this i thought she did a good job and she was like able to anchor this show pretty well but uh-huh. her career has never really super taken off. Um, yeah, I've never seen her. I didn't recognize her from anything else. Well, because more recently she was in the Netflix show Mindhunter, and she plays mm-hmm. one of the, like, um, psychologists who's, like, one of the first people responsible for creating the behavioral sciences unit for the FBI and, like, you know, involved in the coining of the term serial killer and all that jazz. Mm-hmm. Um and she does a good job in that as well. Um, but for whatever reason, she has never super kind of like, I don't know. Hit. Yeah. And and that's always kind of surprised me because I thought, particularly in this show, I thought she did a good job as the protagonist. And I was surprised that it never really kind of gelled into anything else afterward. Yeah. Um, next, we have Peter Bishop, played by your fave, Joshua Jackson. 32, mm-hmm. of Pacey fame, of course. Um, of course. And for those of you who might possibly be young and listening to this, um, <laughs> if you are not, we keep calling him Pacey. Why do we keep calling him Pacey, Amy? Well, read a book, but... Um, <laughs> no, this is not a book. Do not imply <laughs> that what you're about to say is in any form of literature, because it is not. It is. It, it is. Um, he was on a wildly popular teen drama of the 90s called Dawson's Creek, and that was his character's name. And definitely what I think he's most nota- noted for. Yeah, I would say so. Um that and the Mighty Ducks. Mighty Ducks, of course. Um, yeah. So I was surprised to learn he was Canadian. I didn't know that about him. Um, yeah, I guess I didn't know that either. And uh, I did, of course, know he was a child actor because he was in Mighty Ducks. And I think mm-hmm. his name is Charlie in that movie, I want to say. Um, that sounds right. And and he was in both D2 and D3 um he's I, I mean he's an integral part of the story oh he was <laughs> he was super important to the story for sure yeah um and then he went on in the Dawson's Creek days um also was in a variety of different like teen a lot of like teen suspense and teen horror movies um so there was things like I had sort of forgotten and I'm interested in this movie called apt pupil which sounds pretty good. Um, yeah. And then he was in that thing called The Skulls, which was the one about the skull and bones at Yale mm. or Harvard or some. I think it's oh. Yale. Um, oh. Hmm. I don't remember. So, that was a movie? Yeah, that's a movie from uh. like the early 2000s, I want to say. Um, but he too, like when I was looking, it's not as though he's like completely fallen off the radar, um, but he's not really 
kind of super been up to much of late, but maybe he doesn't need to, so fair enough. Um, then there is, the character is named Astrid Farnsworth, and this is played by, I don't actually know entirely how to pronounce her first name, but I want to say it's probably a creative spelling of Jessica, um, but it could also be Jessica, I don't know, Nicole, um, Mm -hmm. and she is someone who, again, I would have expected her to kind of, like, be and more stuff than she's turned out to be. Uh, This was her first series regular role, and she's quite Mm -hmm. good in this role. Um, Do you want to hear a reveal? Sure. I think I know her. How? And the only reason I say think is because uh, there's not – I don't have proof. (laughs) (laughs) You don't Um, have photographic evidence that you met her once? Yeah. Well, no, do you, I don't know if you remember, but I did a show right out of college where it was like a a workshop of a musical and there were a bunch of like kind of fancy people in it. And I didn't Mm. even really know at the time. Um, And she was in it and she was like, I mean, young. I mean, how old is she? She's 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 30 in this. Or at this time, she's 30. Oh, so she's a little bit older than me, but whatever. Um, so anyway, yeah, I, and she was in that because I know like when she huh. first came on screen, I was like, fuck, how do I know her? And then I kind of remembered at the time when this show was on, that was maybe another reason it was on my radar is because I had seen that she was in it. Mm. Um, so yeah, I kind of know her a little bit, but she would never know who the hell I was. <laughs> well, that's exciting. I had no idea of that. Um, yeah, and I'm pretty you know- sure it is Jessica. Okay. I was going to say, do you know how to pronounce her name? I'm pretty sure that's, I'm pretty sure that's right. I don't remember if that's what she went by at the time, because I want to say that's like half of a stage name, uh, but I'm pretty yeah, sure her okay. first name was Jessica. Um, yeah. So what I learned in terms of her like bio, which I don't know who wrote it, but like apparently she's like very into crafting and mm-hmm. makes like her own clothes and writes comic books and I guess also posts and blogs about like intersectional feminism and crafting, which is intriguing. Hmm. Um, And more recently she was uh, doing like a series regular stint on something called the good doctor, which is yet another one of those shows where I'm like, I know it exists, but I have no frame of reference for what (laughs) it is about. Um, And then finally, there is Dr. Walter Bishop, Peter Bishop's father, played by a 64-year-old John Noble. Um, He is another Australian actor, uh, and as such, he's been in a lot of Australian stuff. Um, Some people might recognize him um, as the, like, what is the fucking name? Like, the hand of the king in The Lord of the Rings Return of the King mm-hmm. movie. He plays that. Oh. Um, he was in, of course, a, a, an old Australian standby, which we've talked about before, Home and Away. He was uh-huh. also in something called The Voodoo Lagoon, which... That sounds great. I know. I have no idea what that is, but I really want it to I be... I recognized him. Yeah, well, he's been in a bunch of stuff, um, and he's one of those guys who... Like, he's been around for a long time, but he kind of always looked old. Mm, yes, yes. 
And, like, all I can say about, like, whenever... I feel like he was definitely in an episode of Criminal Minds. <laughs> I, yeah, that seems... I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised. But, like, all I can say is, like, he, he always kind of had an older look. And the only thing that you can tell now that he ages is, like, his wrinkles get deeper. Yeah, or his hair you know is, like, I a mean? little bit wider. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's his whole thing. I would say from my review of his like credits, this for him probably was one of his a big get, um, like mm-hmm. a, a an ongoing role over five years probably was his like, and especially because it's an American. He was in production. Cowboy Bebop. <laughs> yeah, he was. Well, that's funny. Um, and then I as a, you as I put in the outline, and this was more for you. More recently, he's been in The Conjuring: The Devil Made Me Do It. Maybe um, that's what I recognize him from. That wouldn't surprise me. Um, and then also he's in Severance as well, like a more recent. Oh, Apple that TV I haven't show. watched. Um, but yeah, so he's around and I guess now he would be in his like mid-ish 70s. Yeah, I guess that's right. Um, 74. So, he, so we might still see him around for a bit. Um, <laughs> so now let's just talk about the show. Now, uh I, the, part of the reason we did this episode is because I remembered that there was a musical episode of Fringe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that could be fun. And Amy likes musicals. So we'll see what that I figured that's why you chose this one. Once yes. they started like randomly singing, I was like, oh, I have no clue what's happening, but I'm sure this is why Sarah chose this episode. Correct. And what I didn't remember, because it had been... I mean, I don't think I've seen this episode since it aired in 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I didn't remember is now some people don't like musicals because of what you just said. People just randomly start singing. Yeah. And I can understand why that maybe isn't for everyone. But what I will say is if I, you, on the other hand, can't understand that, but continue. If you think that musicals, like the singing seems arbitrary and random, this particular show really shows you what actual arbitrary and random singing <laughs> is like. Um, Correct. Musicals, yeah, like maybe it's not for you, whatever, but like I'm like, the reason they start to sing is pretty clear to pick up on. It's like this, however, the approach, to, this was not nearly what I thought it was going to be when I was like, oh, yeah, the musical episode of right. this show. When, yeah, because here's a, a lesson, <laughs> everybody. Musicals, the reason why people start singing in musicals generally, the highbrow ex- explanation is that the emotion is so heightened that they have no choice but to sing, and the song furthers the plot. Right. Now, that's not always true based, you know, blow Gabriel blow. I don't know how much that furthers the plot, but <laughs> it's fun to watch. <laughs> right. Um, that might be more in the emotion realm. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Right. Right. Um, but you're right that this version of it, when I think of a musical, like a t- lots of TV shows have done musical versions of shows and, you know, they're varying degrees of good and bad yeah yeah two of the ones that stick out to me that I remember really liking when I was younger and the shows will show you how long ago I'm talking about 
is number one, Daria. <laughs> oh, Daria did a that. musical episode. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> yeah, and specifically the song that the dad sings in the car. It's like a road rage song. So good. <laughs> um, <laughs> and maybe I liked it as a kid because it was just cursing. But anyway, yeah, fair enough. Um, and then the other show was Buffy. Buffy had a musical Yeah, I know Buffy had show, one, and which I also can't – I don't think I've watched that since it aired either. Me neither. And I remember it being kind of good. Like I know, again, a lot of musical haters would say like that was crap. Right. But sci-fi is kind of – I think sci-fi is a good genre for musicals because it's kind of cheesy and ridiculous anyway. Well, So why the- not throw in a song? The the emotion aspect of it is always you're always heightened. Like so right. you're always in this like kind of heightened set of circumstances. And then yeah. as well, like there's so much that does need to be explained. Yeah. You, like why not have some of the exposition be in a sure. song, you know, or mm-hmm. whatever. Now, what makes the musical nature of this show different is that <laughs> It's actually, we're like taking a little bit of a walk in the garden of Walter's mind after right. he has smoked weed. So, right. so that's actually like we, the very first note that I have here is that we open into Walter's lab and he's doing bong rips and listening <laughs> to music. That's where we begin mm-hmm. this show. And which explains why I didn't quite understand the. Um, the <laughs> uh, what's the word? It, the the linear nature of the show, I guess. It was like right. it was. We were in somebody else's trip, basically. Well, and and more because like, well, he talks about because that's the whole thing. So he does these bong rips, and Astrid walks in, and is like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> and he says that he's created a new hybrid form of weed called Brown Betty. Um, And she's like, well, Olivia and her niece Ella are about to come here. And he's like, well, that's a bad idea because I've just done this. (laughs) Um, And who hasn't been there, right? Like who hasn't uh, done a bong rip and then been like, oh, shit, I just remembered I had something to do. (laughs) I just remembered I need to go to the DMV. Oh, no. Yeah, I just remembered, oh, my work just called and said you need to come in. (laughs) Yeah. uh, I mean, that's, I guess... If knowing more about this show, Walter, like there is no good or bad time for him to do <laughs> any kind of drug, honestly. Like mm. they're always in a state of chaos. So I think his feeling would be like, well, why not matter. now? Like, yeah. yeah. What does um, he, what is he? What is he's he a scientist. Like he's in a lab. He's a scientist. Yeah, he's okay. a scientist. He's a, he's unsurprisingly a very weird scientist uh, yes. who has various problems um in this case in a previous episode we learned that his son peter has run not really run away because an adult can't run away um but has gone on walkabout and has not told anyone where he's gone because walter and peter had a falling out so part of the reason so that's like what i do appreciate about this episode is it does really try to, in a sense, capture 
the state of mind of someone who is experiencing being high and needing mm-hmm. to function at the same time because um because it's this a is precarious what it is. situation <laughs> this is what it is which is that like so the whole thing that Walter is concerned about and perhaps part of the reason why he's decided to make this special weed in the first place and then smoke it mm-hmm. is because he is deeply concerned about this falling out that he's had with Peter. And he's concerned that mm-hmm. Peter is gone and he's concerned mm-hmm. that Peter is never coming back. So that mm-hmm. is the, like, you know, like when you're preoccupied and you try and do other things, like your mind keeps returning to the thing you're preoccupied by. But yeah you're still needing to interact with the stimuli that's around you now. And what ends up happening is Olivia shows up with her niece, Ella, but Olivia's like, I actually need to do some FBI work. Do you, can you and Astrid watch Ella for a bit? Um, (laughs) And this is when Walter's like, probably I shouldn't do that. Like, um, and that's the other thing is like, he's at least got the wherewithal to be like, I don't think I'm the right person. To say that. He's like, like, I'm aggressively high right now. (laughs) um, And I don't know that a child would benefit from being around me in my current state. Um, But but since Astrid is there, it's like, okay, everything's fine. Um, They play play the game Operation for a bit. um, Okay. And Ella gets... Yeah. uh, Ella gets bored by doing that. So she's like, I'm telling you kids today. Well, you know, I don't know how long you can really play operation for, to be honest. That's true. It's not Um, necessarily a long lived game. Like it does get old. Uh, so she asks Walter to tell her a story and he's like, okay. And, um, he basically goes off into this tangent of imagining, um, a like film noir, um, now I'm forgetting the name of like the super famous like noir. Sarah can't remember the author Raymond Chandler. Um. Anyway, he like inspired by like kind of hard boiled angels with filthy souls. <laughs> no, not quite that, but sort of that. Oh. Um, hard boiled 1940s detective style uh, story. Mm. And so here we enter where Olivia is reimagined as a 1940s PI and her mm-hmm. sister, Rachel, who is played by Ari Grainer, um, who, whatever happened to Ari Grainer? Who even is that? Um, you would recognize her. She was in a bunch of stuff in this era and then just, I've like not seen her ever again, I feel like. Um hmm. But anyway, in this case, she comes in and she plays like the femme fatale who's like, my boyfriend is missing. My boyfriend's name is Peter. Um, And Olivia's like, he probably just ran off with someone else. And she's like, no, no, no. Uh, I know him. That's just not what's possible. And then Rachel starts singing uh, the song (laughs) Head Over Heels by Tears for Fears. Um, but, mm-hmm. but who is actually singing when she sings? Uh, Walter, yes, right? it's Walter's voice coming out of her mouth yeah. and it's very jarring. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so this is what I kind of enjoy or like what I mean about like the sort of getting it right of depicting 
what someone who's high and trying to tell a story would be doing and experiencing, <laughs> which is like, I'm mm. telling this story, but then I heard this song that I like that's playing. So now I'm singing that song and it's, but it's all part of the same thing as well. Um, yeah. So yeah. anyway, uh, Olivia agrees to take the case and um, she's asking uh, about Peter, like what's important about him. And we learn that Peter has this very special glass heart that he has stolen from somewhere. We don't know where yet. Um, then there are the credits, and then we come back into this 1940s land and Olivia interacts with who in the real world is her boss detective Broyles um, or FBI agent Broyles I can't totally remember um were you mm-hmm. much of a wirehead no but I do I did recognize this guy and I'm not sure from what maybe again the wire is one of those shows that like everybody talks a hell of a lot yeah. about so this is Lance Reddick um he would have mm-hmm. just come off the wire, actually, when he got this role. Um, and okay. he's he's also singing a bit of a song when Olivia walks in. <laughs> um, and I guess he's meant to be, yeah, I guess a, like a police officer or something. And so she's like, yeah, I just uh, got a job. And I was wondering if you could give me some help because this woman gave me this symbol he was also on Lost. Oh, that checks out. That checks out. Um, hmm. Anyway. And so Olivia doesn't recognize this, like, symbol that Rachel gave her of, like, this is something I found in Peter's, like, possessions. And Broyles mm-hmm. explains that it's the logo for a company called Massive Dynamic. Now, mm-hmm. Massive Dynamic is also a real, like, in the real world of fringe that's a real company that exists um Uh, oh okay so then olivia goes to massive dynamic which is run by nina sharp um that is also true in like the real world of fringe like massive dynamic is run by nina sharp okay and okay olivia and and really quick wait sorry really really quick in the real world of fringe or like in the larger scope of the show the relationship between um what's everyone's names i've already olivia and the scientist man is what olivia and peter or olivia and walter olivia and walter so or olivia and peter so olivia is an fbi agent who initially okay and i know luckily i watched the pilot episode so i can answer this question um, and <laughs> Olivia initially becomes aware of Walter because her first partner gets exposed to a toxin that makes him turn invisible. And Whoa. in the process of her like doing some digging, she discovers that a guy named Walter Bishop used to work for the FBI in the 1970s doing secret fringe experiments and one of the things that he did was working with invisibility so she Mm. like seeks him out 
And it turns out that when she finds him, he is in like a mental institution. And the only Hmm. way that he can be, the only way that she can see him and also get him released into her custody is with the consent of a family member. And Peter is his son. So that's how she tracks down Peter as well. Okay, and do they have a romantic relationship in the show? Eventually they do. Or it's like sexual tension-y the whole time. Eventually, like, I can't remember exactly when in the seasons this transpires, but, like, mm-hmm. obviously in this episode they're really laying that on thick, and I don't think they had right. gotten actually to that yet. In the real world. Okay. But I think they're okay. moving toward that, if I recall correctly. Got it. Okay. Um, All right. Gotcha. Yeah. So that's... So anyway, when Olivia in 1940s land goes to Massive Dynamic, <laughs> she's saying, like, I'm looking for Peter Bishop. Nina Sharp is like, you're better off not to because he's a con man and it's quite dangerous. Um... And so Olivia is like, okay, well, this woman's no help, so I'm going to leave. As soon as she leaves, Nina gets on the phone to someone about Peter and about Olivia. Um, Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Olivia is driving in her car and she calls Rachel. Now, this is something that I thought was funny and I hadn't really noticed until this episode. So it's supposed to be the 40s, but Olivia still has a cell phone. Yeah, I was going to ask about that <laughs> um, because I was curious about the same thing. Yeah, so they have... I maybe I was like... Because then when I noticed that, I started paying attention. And all throughout the episode, everyone still has the same technology as in 2008. So, like, people are using yeah. laptops. People are talking on cell phones. Mm. People are using computers. Like, but they've all been made yeah. to look at, like, what would a 1940s computer Kind of older. Like? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, like, the cell phone that Olivia's talking on is, like, quite rectangular and a bit bulky. Right. Um, although, ironically, it looks about the size and shape of my current iPhone, to be honest. I mean, it, yeah, <laughs> it pretty much did. It, or it looked kind of, I mean, maybe it looked more blackberry Yeah. Because it looked yeah, like there was more buttons yeah. on it. But, um, but yeah, definitely it was, uh, and then this is also they had their finger on the pulse. Yeah. And in terms of the tech, this is also weird. So she calls Rachel on her cell phone in her car and then the call goes through to an answering machine, which I want to say by 2010, mm-hmm. the answering machine was on its way out. Pretty much um, out. And particularly yeah. somehow that you could hear what's happening on the other side, or maybe that isn't the point. Like we hear her leaving a voicemail for Rachel as Rachel is being attacked in her apartment. So I, cause I thought that she heard that and that's why she came because she comes directly to Rachel's apartment um, to find Rachel dead with her heart missing. So I thought she must have overheard it when she called, but I'm like, but that's not how answering machines work. So I'm not really sure how that all transpired. Yeah. Needless to say, um, this woman who had hired her to find Peter Bishop is now dead. 
The police come. They're looking for clues. They're taking photos. Broyles comes back and lets Olivia know that, in fact, this woman she thinks is Rachel was actually a paid actor named Kelsey. Um, and someone has hired her to hire Olivia, basically. Um, and mm-hmm. Broyles is like, you're really better off leaving this case alone. Peter Bishop is a dangerous guy, like, or whatever's going on is dangerous. Uh, Olivia doesn't do that. Instead, she, like, grabs Rachel's, um, like, I couldn't tell if it was, like, a date book or maybe, like, an address book or something, but, like, one of those little black books that people used to have for that purpose. Um, And as she goes through it, she finds the name Walter Bishop. And so she goes to his lab where he reveals that he's the one who had hired Rachel to hire Olivia. Um, And he's looking for Peter Bishop because Peter Bishop stole this glass heart from him. Um, He also reveals that Mm -hmm. Peter used to be his assistant um, and that Walter's role in this alternative world, he's still a scientist of a sort, I suppose. Um, But what he does is he invents things that make people happy. So he says he's invented things like hugs and bubble gum. Um, Most recently, he invented singing corpses. What the heck is that? Well, don't you remember? He says, no sooner does he say this phrase, singing corpses, than three corpses sit up behind him oh, and start right, singing right, right. the candy corpses. man. I thought you said something else. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. I did like that part. <laughs> um, I enjoyed that. Uh, um, yeah. So he's like, I need this heart back from Peter. He stole it from me. And I need you to get it. Meanwhile... We're in a hospital, and your good friend, Jessica, a.k.a. Astrid, a.k.a. Esther, in this alternative format of Fringe, um, Mm -hmm. is trying Mm -hmm. to get a job at a mental hospital, it appears. Um, Mm -hmm. And this is also what she sings a song as well. Yeah, she sings a song from Chorus Line. And this was like, I also, so throughout watching it, these... That show that I was in was so long ago, and some of the people, like, I, I like, have slight memories of, but I, like, can't, again, can't confirm it was sure. them that was in it or if I'm just crazy. But then she started singing, and I was like, look, she can sing. That was definitely her. Yeah, I mean, sure. <laughs> and she, she was singing a musical song, so I was like, yeah, sure, definitely her. So she, in the midst of her trying to get a job at this new place, um, oh, right, because she's singing, like, what is that song? It's like, I really need this job. Gotta get this job. Oh, yeah. Where did you say, what's it from? Well, I, you said chorus line. Is the, is the yeah. name of the song, I need this job or something? No. Oh, the name of the song is like, God, I hope I get it. I oh, think. I okay. actually don't know what the name okay. of the song is. It's like the whole opening montage oh, song. Oh, right. Sort of. Okay. Um, so she's doing that. Meanwhile, she she gets a call on her old-timey slash futuristic cell phone um, from <laughs> Olivia, who is now... Now Olivia's being attacked. 
So um, then we cut to like Olivia in some sort of parking lot, basically being attacked by a mysterious man with a strange scalpel. He sort of like slashes her on the chest. Um, and when then we end up back in Olivia's office and Esther is like patching her up with this big gash on her chest. But like then the, the gash like heals like immediately. Oh right. Um yeah. And so like the she's like Wolverine. Well, no, that so that would be cool. Um but what <laughs> Olivia infers cuz she's like I'm not Wolverine and I'm not magical, like so it must be the scalpel that's special. Like I need to figure out about that scalpel cuz I'll be able to like track this guy through that cuz like not everybody has that kind of tool so she goes to like a patent office first and then eventually unsurprisingly who has made that scalpel but massive dynamic and so she goes back Mm -hmm. to massive dynamic and she speaks to nina sharp again who says yes we made that scalpel it was like a tool for surgery unsurprisingly um and nina basically is like i don't know who specifically attacked you, but the description that you gave me suggests that it's a watcher. Now, do you do you remember what this guy looked like? Uh, no, I don't. He's the one who like looks weirdly white, like not white like people call white people who actually have like pinky orange skin. I mean, like he looks actually white. And he's wearing, like, a fedora and, like, a black suit. Hmm. Okay. I kind of remember it So now. that's that's who attacks Olivia. And Nina seems to know that this person is something called a watcher. And all she says is, like, those guys are kind of around, but I'm not really sure why he would have attacked you, particularly with an item that we made. And Olivia's like, well, how would he have gotten it? Nina's a bit cagey. So Olivia decides to follow Nina to her home, whereupon she's kind of like skulking around the back. Um, And this is when we start learning. And this is um, kind not really a reveal, but this is like setting up the stage for later episodes of the show. So like what's mm-hmm. said now isn't necessarily super relevant to the show, but basically while Olivia is following Nina, she Esther calls her to say like I've been doing some digging into Massive Dynamic and it used to be run by this guy William Bell who disappeared some years ago. Um and no one knows whatever happened to him. Meanwhile, as Olivia is like skulking around Nina's house, she hears Nina talking to someone and saying that she's been looking for Peter Bishop because he has this heart and they want to get this heart for some reason unknown. Um, as Nina, or sorry, as Olivia is like skulking toward the back, she looks through one of Nina's windows to see Nina talking to someone on like a very strange video screen. Um, and like the picture of who she's talking to is kind of distorted and black and white. So I I know who the actor is who plays this guy and like who this guy is, um, but mm. uh, 
they don't yet reveal who it is um, in the show. Got it. Um, mm-hmm. As Olivia is seeing this, she gets knocked out. Only to, now this would be terrifying. This is like top peak. Like I know we've talked a lot about like how you might want to die or what time frame you wouldn't want to go back to and like various kinds of things. <laughs> but this to me is like a peak, something's gone horribly wrong in my life circumstance. You get knocked out, you wait, come to on a boat and you're tied up. Like this is a bad scene. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, this, I mean, this whole thing that she goes through right now, like, I was actually thinking about it. Actually, this is the moment in the show where, I guess I'll wait till you get to it. Um, When she's in the box. Can we talk about that? So then this is, like, the kind of, like, reveal, right? That Nina and this guy Mm -hmm. who attacked her, the Watcher, are working together. And for Mm -hmm. whatever reason... Nina just doesn't want Olivia to pursue this glass heart thing. So she's like, okay. She turns to the watcher and is like, okay, deal with it. And so what the watcher does is he nails Olivia into this big wooden box and dumps her over the side into the water. Okay. So I had like multiple thoughts at this moment and like she it immediately like is like the water starting to fill up she's like clearly it's gonna sink she's gonna drown and I really struggle to think of like a worse way to die um, than drowning that is pretty bad than drowning in yes, a box that would but be yeah bad. but drowning yes. yeah in a box like in an ocean of cold water yeah there's like I mean drowning yes just baseline is bad but like this particular scenario seems awful and she's like really struggling and I was trying to think like in that moment would I struggle or just give up (laughs) or would I just be like I am fucked like I I am fully fully fucked because even if I get my hands and feet free I can't open this fucking box from the inside right I mean I have more chance anyway also my second thought in this moment was unrelated to the plot but I was like I thought Joshua Jackson was in this show. And I literally like had that thought in this moment. And then, then he appeared. Uh, he's revealed. And I was like, oh. He appeared. Deus ex machina. Yeah. Like he appears and like <laughs> saves her. And I can't remember. I guess what he must do is like first haul up the box and then get her out of the box. I don't totally remember how that goes. I think he hacks the box open. So then, oh, because I guess the box doesn't sink straight away. Um, no, she's not all the way yeah. submerged. So yet. he saves her, and like we cut to basically like her waking up the following morning at some house, and Peter says, "Like the reason I saved you is because, or the reason I was there to save you in the first place is because." I knew that you were following me, so I was following you, um, which is interesting. I feel like people who follow each people always say stuff like I that. I mean, it, it's a story, and it's a story told by a man who's high. So, like, sure, that makes a certain kind yeah. of sense, I suppose. Um, and then, then she says, like, Walter has hired me to find you. And Peter is like... Um, Walter is like the worst of humanity and I've actually been working against him. I didn't steal that heart from him. 
that was my heart that I gave to him because I thought the work that he was doing with like, you know, developing all of these happiness inventions, I thought that was so important that I gave him my heart so that he could use it for that purpose. But then, Mm -hmm. and it's not clear entirely how Peter has found this out, but like basically he learns that all of Walter's inventions are not actually Walter's idea, that he actually steals them from the minds of children. Um, And so he has a map that he shows Olivia of like these, um, I think he says, yeah, it's like 147 children that Walter has like kind of like, it sounded like, I don't know how to put it. It's He was trying to say that this was like a violent thing, like that he had taken these ideas from their dreams and that it left the kids kind of in somehow shattered as a result. Um, hmm. And so he was like, so I just can't be a part of that anymore. And so that's why I took my heart and left. Um, uh, Peter reveals this and then no sooner does Olivia learn the truth then the house starts to shake a weird like bomb like thing blasts through the wall um, a group of watchers descend um, and there's like a bit of a fight scene going on and when when they all leave when the watchers all clear out it's revealed that they've stolen Peter's heart from inside his chest. Now, this is, again, when the operation Whoa. metaphor returns because Peter has, like, I don't know. How might you describe what his chest cavity looks like? Oh, God. Because um. I found this very hard to look at. Because So, like, they've taken the glass heart from him so Olivia has to put in some nine volt batteries in yeah. to like keep him going for a bit. And so then there's like this, cause both Walter and Peter over the course of this episode have opened up their chest, like with a little door, like a little silver door in their chest to show mm-hmm. their heart space. Um, and I, especially when it's this part where Olivia is like putting in the batteries there was something about like seeing the open cavity and the like little wires sticking out of it. I didn't like Yeah, not it. cute. I didn't like seeing that. No, I agree. Um, this is again, like so while Olivia is putting in the batteries, this is when they have a heart to heart while she's fixing his heart. Um, and Peter passes out and Olivia sings a bit of um, Stevie Wonders for once in my life. Um, yeah, and that the way she was singing that, she sang it so slowly, and I was like, <laughs> I kept being like, "What the hell show is this from?" And I was like, "I know, I know it," but then I like, then I finally was like, "Oh, it's not a musical." <laughs> well, because it's but there was something about the way she was singing it that I was like, it "Sounds like a musical." Yeah. Well, not every song that's featured here is necessarily from a musical itself. Yeah. Um, I also was just like, is she doing it this way to show emotion or is she doing this way because she's not very good at singing? Like, I couldn't tell. I think it might be the latter. Um, so I think maybe a little bit of both, yeah. I guess, to be generous. But luckily, <laughs> it all works out. He revives. 
they end up going back to the lab to confront Walter. Um, and the way, like, so, so there's yet another double cross because, like, clearly, like, the Watchers worked for Nina Sharp, but Walter says, like, I convinced them to help me steal that heart back from you. Um, Olivia takes the glass heart away from Walter, who begs forgiveness, but they don't give it to him. So then we cut back into like the real world of Fringe and little niece Ella is upset at this particular ending because it is unhappy. Um, Mm -hmm. And so she changes it. We go back into the 1940s version of the lab and Peter and Olivia decide to give Walter another chance. Peter says that they can share the heart between them, which they do. Um, And then the kind of final moments of the show are more just kind of set up for the next episode. So I don't think we necessarily need to discuss it. Um, But I'm now realizing there was one thing that I wanted to mention um, when they're depicting like the 1940s version of the lab while Walter is high describing it. So in the real version of the lab, they have a cow in the lab. Um, And when the cow in the 1940s version is depicted, did you notice what color spots it had? No. It had like red, blue, and yellow spots on it. Like when it was in the um, world of Walter's mind, the cow had primary color spots on it, which I quite enjoy. So that is the musical episode of Fringe. Um, I guess we can just move straight into yawns and eye rolls. In terms of yawns, one yawn is, um, you know, I was really sucked up into this world and uh, watched every minute with uh, passion, I guess. Um, and, <laughs> passion. And, and then 10 yawns is like, this really like did not get my attention whatsoever what would you give it hmm i would say i'd probably rest in like a three area Mm, that's pretty good yeah it was pretty good i was it took me a little bit to follow the story within the story like i and it sounds really obvious when we like describe it but i was like wait a second I thought this was like a science fiction thing. Now it's like a noir thing. Like now we're, where are we? <laughs> like, yeah. so it took me a minute to like grasp onto that like dual story situation. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but, I would. But yeah, but overall it was. Yeah. I mean, it's. Enough. It kept its pace pretty well. It's only, I think mm-hmm. like 42 minutes or something. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think I would give it probably even a one, honestly, like either. Mm. I, there just wasn't yeah. really enough time for my mind to wander anywhere else. Um, Good for you. My mind wanders in <laughs> seconds. <laughs> That's true. Uh, in terms of eye rolls, one eye roll uh, is like totally bought into this world. You know, it seemed fully realized. And 10 eye rolls is like 100% no. Um, hmm. I didn't buy into this world at all. Hmm. I would be interested to see an episode that isn't based on a high. <laughs> yeah, that's probably a good point. Because um, yeah. that I feel like it makes it a little bit more like eye rolly or a little bit more um, 
difficult to grasp onto. Um, I, I guess I would say like maybe right in the middle. I'll give it a five because I know the premise isn't like what the show always is. Sure. Um, but this particular episode uh, was, yeah, a, a bit tough to grasp onto just because we were in someone else's high. Yeah. And I would, I think I would say the same for this episode and probably even for the show on its own because um, as for a number of things like this, it's like it's not really doing anything super new or different. Yeah. Um, but it, it's got some clever bits and it's kind of done yeah. well. So it's like right in the middle to me as well as a five. Yeah. Um, so then finally, did you like this and would you recommend it? Um, yeah, I liked it. Um, That's good. I, it was, yeah, it's one that I think I could see myself, like, potentially, I probably won't, I always say this, but, yeah. but I could see myself potentially well, going back and to this it one because too, it's got more of the procedural. Yeah, and this one, too, um, I'm fairly certain is, like, super accessible, which is often one of the yes. kind of, like, obstacles to some of these is, like, it's Yes, it's find. also, I think... Yeah, I think the entire series is free on Prime. I think with ads, there are some ads that pop in, but they're not, like, too intrusive. Sure. Um, And, you know, again, free, which... Super important. That that (laughs) is very important when you're not totally sure about something. But, yeah, I think I would... I think I liked it. I think I would recommend it. Um, It's not... Again, if you like... Crime procedurals, I think you can yeah. find a place for it. Yeah. Uh, and I am the same. I liked it. I would recommend it. And I maybe would even add to my recommendation. Part of the reason I would recommend it is in something we've talked a lot about on this show, which is like so much that is new content now is like kind of hard to watch. Like, Um, it demands a lot of you emotionally or like you need to pay quite (laughs) close attention or, or it's doing, or it's working on a story that's quite intense or, you know, like something. Um, and I, and for that reason, like a show like this, I think has a very useful place in the realm of like, if you need a break from that kind of content this is ideal. Like Mm -hmm. you can slap this on, on a weekend afternoon, let it run for like three hours. Are you like, maybe you clean the house, (laughs) maybe you take a nap, you know, like, and we are always here for you and the napping content. Yes. That is what we strive for. There's so, and I am doing the hard work every weekend of being like, what is an ideal (laughs) napping show? What is an ideal napping film? I am out on yeah. these streets and by streets, You're on the front lines. I yeah. mean my couch, but I'm really working very yeah. hard to find that content. And so when we find it here, I always feel like I need to let you know that it's out there. Yeah. So, well, this was a roaring success, I would say. So listeners, this is a four thumbs up from us here at See You Next Week in Space. I'm Sarah. I'm here with Amy and we will see you next week in space. Ooh.
Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of See You Next Week in Space. This is a production by Amy and Sarah Walsh with artwork provided by Riley Brown. If you'd like to learn more about our show, please check us out at seeyounextweekinspace.com or follow us on Instagram at seeyounextweekinspace. Until the next one.